and then it's just event after event after event for 54 hours and like you get i can't remember how much sleep we got i think like six or seven total hours maybe it's like two really long days with not a lot of sleep and then a really long hike back i think it's a nine mile hike it's a 15k i think i had never been up for that long like exerting myself what is up everybody and welcome back to the schooling struggle podcast it is our belief that the only guarantee in life is that we are all going to struggle and how we choose to embrace our struggles is what empowers us to become the best versions of ourselves. How's it going? My name is Pete, coming to you from Heartland, Vermont. My friend and co-host Todd is doing some big project in his yard. He wasn't available today, but this is a off-the-cuff episode that was not planned, and we decided to set this thing up about 28 minutes ago. And I'm so thrilled that we were able to pull this off. In introducing the guest, as I have been with the former student tour we've been doing here, I'm going to set it up with a backstory, and then I'll introduce the guest in one moment. Fun fact about me, before I became a PE teacher, I was actually certified as a, a an elementary ed teacher, so reading, writing, math, those types of things. And I did my student teaching here in Heartland. That's actually the long backstory and how I ended up in this town. But I was doing my student teaching in a third grade classroom at the time. And the teachers were um, putting together this writing unit. And in the writing unit, I think grades three, four, and five, and all the teachers had a group. And we'd rotate them around each week. And my group was the haiku poem group. And I had no clue what I was doing. And they're like, yep, you're going to teach haiku. And each week, you're going to have a different group. I'm like, great. So I learned what I could about haiku. And the first group that came through was a fifth grade group. And lo and behold, in this group was a student named Dylan. And his haiku had something to do with skiing or snowboarding. I don't remember exactly what it was. But at that point, I realized, oh, I, I can connect with this kid. Like, because snowboarding is the reason why I moved to Vermont. So here we are 16 years later. Dylan has graduated from Heartland. He graduated from Hartford, the school, the school that I now teach at. And Dylan Gunzinger is a nine-year military veteran of the Marine Corps. And when he comes into town from leave, he usually reaches out to me. And earlier this week, he walked into the school and handed me my favorite sandwich of all time, the Thanksgiving sandwich. And we sat down and we just had an amazing conversation, just caught up about life. I, I'm really impressed that he remembers 16 years later what my favorite sandwich is. That's, that's just who he is. And a couple minutes ago, I was like, oh my gosh, he's about to leave, go back to where he lives. He's home visiting his parents. And I want to try to catch him before he leaves. So I texted him. He's like, yo, can I drove over to your house, drop off a microphone and make this happen? He's like, absolutely, Mr. D, let's roll. So I just got out of my car, ran down in the basement, fired this up. And here we are. And I would love to welcome Dylan Gunzinger to the show. What's up, Dylan? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, like you said, uh, my name is my name's Dylan Gunzinger. I'm 27 years old. I've been in the Marine Corps for nine years now. I'm originally from the Heartland, Hartford area, and I currently live in Jacksonville, Florida. That's where I'm stationed at currently. Yeah, and I, I, so I actually don't remember that that uh, that poem group, um, but I, this is the first time I remember meeting you was at Wellback because um, they have they have the night skiing. So I was there, and I wasn't doing lessons or anything like most of the other kids were, but I was too scared to ride the chairlift by myself. So I was in the little like park area at the bottom of the hill and I kept hitting this one rail because it was the only thing I really knew how to do because I was like 10 or 11 um <laughs> and you came up to me and you said something like hey it's really cool that you keep like trying to dial this one trick in um 
And I remember thinking to myself like, yeah, I mean, that's not really what I'm doing, but yeah. And then, so I didn't know it was you until I saw you in the school though. Um, but yeah, that, 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 that's the first time I remember meeting you. So yeah, I, um, I taught the haiku group and I think it was just like a quick blip in the radar. And then, yeah. And I remember you coming in in sixth grade with, uh, a really nice, like Burton coat and like, oh, I'm going to connect with this kid over snowboarding. And we just, we just kind of hit it off. And, and over the years, you and I went snowboarding to uh, a bunch of different resorts and a bunch of different weekends, even when uh, you were in high school and I was still back teaching elementary school. Um, and I think where I'd like to start, if you don't mind, is kind of your backstory, where you started as a person and your mindset. Yeah. Let's go back as far as like elementary and middle school and kind of kick it off from there. Okay. Yeah, so like you said, I went to uh, I went to Heartland Elementary School, and yeah, I really uh, I didn't I didn't like being in school. It just it was never really my jive, um, and especially kind of the closer to high school I got, all I really wanted to do was you know listen to loud music and go snowboarding and and BMX and it, pretty much anything that didn't have to do with being in a classroom is what I was kind of like drawn to. And for most of my time in school, really, the only reason I did any of my schoolwork was so I could play sports, so I wouldn't be ineligible for sports. It's funny now because I look back and think to myself, like, wow, what a like what a punk I was back in the day. Um, if I'm being completely honest, you know, um, I didn't I didn't give a lot of the teachers the respect they probably deserved, and then the ones that kind of understood me a little bit more, I think, and kind of knew that. I wasn't necessarily a bad kid. I just didn't really want to be there. I really connected with, and I don't think I ever really had problems in those classes either. And I kind of, I still didn't do my homework or anything like that, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't acting up in class or anything like that. I recall middle school, there was like a, like a counterculture vibe with you and your friend group or like kind of almost like an anti-school kind of vibe, like and we don't really like this place. And I and I remember there was a rumor going around the school that there was kids in the middle school that were planning on defacing some of the teachers' cars one day after school. And one of the teachers came up to me and they're like, hey, Pete, I know you're really close with Dylan. Uh, can you kind of chat with him and see what the deal is about this rumor about people defacing cars? <laughs> and you and I had a conversation. Oh, yeah. You, as I recall, you're like, oh, yeah, we were just joking about that at lunch one day or something. And like teacher heard us and got all got all nervous and got all scared. So I went back to the principal. I was like, no, nah, I, I think the cars are safe. Nothing to worry about. Like, Dylan's good. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't remember that either. But I mean, that, that definitely sounds like something me and my friend would joke around about for sure. Um, I'm sure you remember like... Because the way the middle school is, is you have your like core classes, like, you know, math, science, English, Spanish or French or whatever you're taking. And then like they have like what would be like the elective classes, which is like music and art and like all those things. And by time uh, eighth grade rolled around, the school decided that me and me and the friend group uh, probably shouldn't be in those classes anymore. They hired Mr. Nixon. Um, and so like me and me and my friends would go to you know, the, the core classes. And then for the other, like half of the day we were with Mr. Nixon and it took a, it took a while for us and him to kind of figure out what, what we should be doing that would kind of keep us on an even kiln. Cause at, at first he was like, all right guys, uh, you like, it's a study hall basically like do your homework and, and all that. And we were just like, mm, probably not like, we're probably not going to do that. Um, <laughs> and then he was like, okay, well, if you got like, clearly you guys have a lot of energy like let's get you outside and do do something productive so we were like cleaning up around the school and like 
I think one time he had us like trying to fill in potholes in one of the parking lot. And we were just like, we're not doing this either. Like definitely not. And, uh, we started getting in more trouble in his little class because he didn't know how to like keep us like still. So to, like we to manage you. Yeah. He, he couldn't manage. Yeah. As I recall, uh, it was like, yeah, you know, there's, um, a group of boys in the middle school that are, you know, are, are not really loving school. We're going to see if we can get them what they need. And we're going to hire, we're going to hire this guy and he's, he's going to kind of take him under his wing and do his thing. And he, and he met you guys and the school year started and he was like, I'm not, I have no idea what to do with these cats. Yeah. And I mean, but to be fair though, by the end of the year, um, we, we were all pretty, we were all pretty close, um, which I would, which is super cool. Cause it could have, it could have very easily been, you know, nine months of just hell for him. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think the first couple weeks or month or two probably, probably were, um, cause we were, I don't think we were bad kids, but we, we definitely acted like really bad kids a lot of the time. Um, especially when we were being told to do something that we didn't want to do, but as time went on and you kind of realized like, okay, like I can kind of just throw these dudes in the gym and let them play dodgeball for a couple hours every day and they'll kind of <laughs> be okay with it. Um, once we started kind of doing that thing, um, it, it really started working out. And then like, as the school year went on, when the rest of our classmates were in whatever elective class, um, he somehow worked out a way to, we were allowed to bring like a couple friends with us. And so like, every time we do that, we'd have a couple other, couple other dudes there and they'd be like, this is way more fun than, drawing an art class or like <laughs> trying to play the recorder in music class like can we do this too and we we're like oh, i mean just be a really bad kid i guess and like probably not though it's probably not the move you know like we're not here for a good reason so <laughs> i feel like with 99 percent of human beings on the planet once you get to know them and see them as a human and a person they're they're not bad people and um I never viewed you as a bad kid, but it seemed to me from the outside looking in that you were okay with having the reputation of being a tough kid to work with in the school. Would you say that's accurate? Uh, absolutely. Um, okay. I, I think I even kind of, looking back, I think I even kind of liked that, honestly. Um, yeah. So the, the other thing that I think is probably pretty important to know about me is from the time I was a really little kid, like I'd say like first or second grade, like I always knew my path was going to lead me to the military. I had my eyes on the Marine Corps, but I don't, I don't think I was set in stone really until probably high school that I, that's what I was like the branch I was going to join fourth and fifth graders might not be like really thinking about college or anything like that at that point. But obviously the, like the kind of the point of middle school and elementary school is like, Oh, well like try and teach the kids how to learn and like how to do like basic stuff. So when they get into high school, they have that under their belt and like they can, they can do good there. And then like, by time it comes for them to have to do the SATs and like apply to college or whatever, you know, they kind of know how to do all that. And then like, it kind of all just sets them up for college. It's kind of how, like how I look at it, I guess. Um, and because it, like that was nothing that ever interested me. Like I just didn't care about school. I'd say the biggest bummer about being a teacher for me is the fact that I feel like we live in a culture and not just the schools that I've worked in, not just the state that I live in. I think culturally speaking, as a, as a national society, we make kids feel like they're dumb if they're not good at reading, writing, and math. I just had a, I just had a meeting with a family and a student and the kid has just, he's sitting in the meeting going, yeah, you know, school's just not for me. I'm so dumb. But this kid can look at any engine on anything, small engine, big engine, snowmobile, truck, snowblower, chainsaw, 
and know instantly what's wrong with it and how to fix it. And he thinks he's dumb. And that drives me crazy because the kid is just absolutely brilliant. And he's, he's going to do great in life, but he just needs to get through these next two years of high school. And it's so hard for me as someone who connects with these kids for them to see themselves as dumb. And I do believe that reading, writing, and math is important. My, my wife teaches reading and writing, and, and she wholeheartedly believes the better we read and write, the more successful we can be in life. But it, it breaks my heart that kids at such a young age think, school's not for me. I'm not good at school. I'm dumb because I because I'm not comfortable with reading, writing, and math. And there's just so many other life skills, which we're going to talk about in in accordance with your life in a moment. But that's just it's just hard for me. And and like I've been in the game long enough to know that like it's the those who have grit like you. Maybe the school piece isn't great, but you can just get through the hard thing. You can fight through the obstacle. You're going to be all right. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. Um. I think that the measure that society uses to to figure out if a, a kid is smart or not, quote unquote, is is pretty flawed. I don't think you need to be phenomenal in like academics necessarily to to be smart. Um, and like that that's the other thing with me is I like I don't think I I never thought I was stupid. Any of the schoolwork I ever got given, like I could do like fairly easily. Like if I just tried, I would have been like a high honor student the whole time. Like I said, though, I just I just didn't care about it. It wasn't when I got off of school, my attention wasn't going to go to my homework. It was going to go to snowboarding or baseball or or whatever I wanted to go do at the time. I can only imagine how sad it is to see kids that like clearly have a gift for something that because they don't fit in the box that is school, they just feel like really, really bad about themselves. And it's not a knock on any of the teachers I've ever had. I would say 95% of the stuff I learned in school, like in a classroom, I have never used as an adult. You know, like obviously I, I, I need to know how to like write well and like do basic math and like some science stuff is useful, but like my day to day, like I've never had to use the the Pythagorean theorem or whatever it's called. You know what I mean? Like, and that's not to say that we shouldn't learn about it, but we probably shouldn't be using that as the, the marker to see if like a kid is intelligent or not. Yeah, yeah, my personal pendulum has swung many ways on that cuz like so let's say you take a math class and the entire semester you learn stuff that you're never going to apply in your life. And that and that's the reality for some people. And then you say, "Well, that that taking that math class is a waste of time." And now I've come around a little bit to say if you are just tested and you show that you can persevere and you can problem solve, you can work through a hard thing, break up into small chunks and kind of come out on the other end, that's a life skill. So if I take a math class and I'm challenged five days a week by this math class and I come out on the other end passing the class or getting whatever grade I get, like, oh, I just did a hard thing. If I'm okay with embracing the hard thing, I feel like that, and I learn from that, I feel like that, cla- that class was a, u- a good use of my time. But how can we get people to to take on the hard thing and, and embrace the challenge while still feeling that it's relevant to their life? And I think that's got, that's kind of a tricky thing, right? It's easy to say, well... This stuff doesn't apply to me. It doesn't really matter. And, and, and there's a piece of me that believes that's 100% correct, but there's another piece of me that believes that like, yeah, but if you embrace the hard thing now, if you're willing to do the hard thing now, you equip yourself. So when the hard thing comes at you and you don't choose it, you're, you're better prepared to, to battle through it. And um, I, I see both sides of that. And, and I would agree for me, like, man, I took so many what I would call useless classes in high school. And the one class that I wish I took in high school that I never took was typing. Like, cause 
I still type with like three fingers. I typed an 89 page graduate paper with three fingers. <laughs> like I, if, if, if I had a third of that time back in my life, like how useful that would have been, you know? And I just wish that I learned how to, and, and I, I date myself as saying typing. I should probably use, be using the word keyboarding at this point, but like there was typing classes when I was in high school with like literally like ty- electronic typewriters before there was word processors, which are computers. But anyway, um, I digress. Um, so I want to take the conversation down if you're cool to, to high school. And, mm-hmm. but really what I want to spend some time on is your time post high school. Yeah. So um, if there's, if, if there's anything, um, that you feel is pertinent to share about your high school experience, I think now would be a great time to do that. High school itself, you know, uh, I think for me it was a lot like middle school and elementary school. Um, I didn't get in trouble as much, but that's also cause I think I was a little bit more challenged with the classes I got to take. Um, cause obviously when you get into high school, you have a little bit more freedom with the academics that you are in. You can kind of tailor everything to like what you like. I took every single history class that Hartford had at the time. I got to kind of like take classes that like actually engaged me. So I did it, the, the academic piece was able to hold my attention a little bit more, even though my grades might not have shown it. Cause I still just didn't really care about doing good in school. Um, but I, I think the, probably the most important thing for me in high school is that's really where, um, my friend group solidified some of the friends that I had throughout elementary school and middle school, um, that I'm still friends with now is like, we got really, really tight in high school. And then a few more friends that I'm still friends with now, um, I didn't meet until high school. So for sure that, that to me is the most important part of my high school experiences, the, the friends that I've made and the people that I surrounded myself with and kind of hung out with and um even the ones that i don't talk to anymore um i think played a a really big impact on me Hmm. as a teacher i would say if i had to put a number on i'd say less than 25 percent of the kids who tell me they're going to go to the military actually follow through on that and go like i get a lot of a lot of kids through all different grades and all different ages say you know mr d i'm pretty sure i'm going to go the military route and then for whatever reason they they never end up going and you, uh, from a very young age, you're like, yep, I'm going to the military. And then I remember I remember where I was standing, where we were talking when you told me, yep, I'm going to the Marines. And then you're, I was like, oh, when are you going? You're like, well, I'm enlisted. This is the day that I'm go- shipping out, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, he's really going. This is really cool. So as, a, as an insulated Heartland, Hartford, Vermonter, kind of broadening your horizons and taking off for, did you go to Paris Island for a boot camp? I did, yeah. I went, is that I went where all the East Coast Marines go? Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So no detail is too small. If you if you're able to go back nine years ago to that and think about kind of where your mindset was as you're this, I don't know, what's the term for a brand new Marine? I know in, in the Alaskan fishing you're called a greenhorn or a greenie. What are you in the in the Marine when you're like fresh, brand new, just starting? When you go to boot camp, you're 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 technically a recruit, um, and then after that, um, kind of like when you're done with all your schooling and everything and you first hit the fleet the the term for new guys is we call them boots um and there's not really a a timeline on how long that lasts it, it's more so kind of how you carry yourself because there's there's a lot of things that new marines hold on to from boot camp and some of their schools that is just kind of cheesy and corny and like not it's not the cool thing and even if they weren't good marines you don't you don't really know that until later on so right. huh. that's kind of what you're trying to emulate so do you remember your first day or night or you're stepping on the island for the first time or going through the line, whatever it was, like any details that you remember, like about that day? 
Uh, yeah. So I, I remember getting to Paris Island super late at night, um, going through the gate. We all had to put our heads down on the bus. So we couldn't, we didn't know where, like where we were in relation to the, the exit of the island because there's only one way on and off Paris Island. Not that that really matters. Like if in the middle of boot camp, you're like, I'm done. Like the chances of you successfully like running away is like so small that that doesn't really matter. But yeah, I remember, I remember doing that. And then we got to the yellow footprints. Um, I remember like set of footprints I was standing on. And then the next thing I remember is having to make the phone call home. And there's like a, it's like a pay phone with like a script you have to read. And there was so much going on. I don't even think I actually, I don't think my parents actually answered the phone because I couldn't hear the ringing. So I kind of just waited a few seconds and then like screamed what was on the script and just hung up. Cause there's not, there's not really any like important information you say. It's basically just like, yeah, I got here. I'm not dead. And you'll get a letter from me in a week or whatever it is. So I, I wasn't really worried about like my parents actually hearing it. So I was kind of like, I'm just going to get through this and move on to the next thing. And then from there, it's a lot of like in-processing paperwork. And I remember being up for so long that I was like kind of falling asleep, like whenever I wasn't moving. Hmm. And it was, it was kind of just two days of like, I'm here and now I'm somewhere else. And now I'm somewhere else. And now I'm somewhere else. And then you get your your actual drill instructor. So like when I first got there, we had um, what they call receiving drill instructors. So they're with us for like four or five days. They kind of just make sure we have all our stuff. And then I think it's a Friday, maybe Saturday, but that's when uh, the your actual drill instructors like do their walkout and like that's where you hear like the senior drill instructor speech and all that kind of stuff. So as a as a kid who'd be kind of looking forward to this and was planning on doing it and coming from a small town. Was there a point during that that boot camp session where like it hit you like holy crap I'm here or like this is friggin' awesome or holy crap I made a bad decision? Um, for me it was, it was, it's it's kind of a blur. Um, I think that it really kind of hit me that I was there when the drone circuit came on the bus and said you know like get all your stuff and get off or like whatever exactly they say. I think that's really kind of when it sunk in and I was kind of like oh yeah. I'm, I'm here now. I don't there I don't remember there being a part of boot camp that I was like I'm in over my head or I made a mistake or anything like that. Now there there were definitely a few times that were hard um but especially looking back, you know, almost 10 years later, um like if I had to go do that again, I'd be like, yeah, whatever, like 3 months it's fine, okay? Like I I can do anything for 3 months, you know what I mean? Like but for an 18-year-old kid being away from their family for the first time, like it, it's very hard for a lot of people, even the dudes that are in, you know, really good shape or whatever is going on with their life. Like it, it can still be like kind of a shock. So more of a challenge mentally than physically. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, they also do a really good job at boot camp of like, oh, you're, it, if you're not good at running, you're not good at pull-ups or whatever, like they'll get you good at that. But the, the hard part I think for sure is the mental part where you just there's no escape from drill instructors when you're at boot camp except for when you go to church so like church on sundays is the one like hour and a half or however long that you can kind of just sit there and like relax a little bit the rest of the time there there are drill instructors around you yelling at you watching you so even when you don't think they're around they're there is church mandatory for everyone to attend no. Um, so there's the two, so it might be different now, but when I was there, the two 
big services that they use like the all weather training facility for um was like a protestant group and then a catholic group and then they have other um denominations on in like smaller areas um and then they if so if you just if you just don't want to go to church at all um you can sit in the house with the squad bay like where we live write letters or mark a uniform like do whatever you got to do and then when like church is over for the whole island meaning there's no more services for the rest of the day anywhere that's kind of when like the drill instructors come back out so the end of every day um we had what was called senior drill instructor time which is so like after the basically the day is over got our squad base squared away we'd get put on senior drill instructor time which is like that's our like hour to sit on our foot lockers and write letters read letters that's when we get mail the, the 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 bathroom's open so like if you messed your shave up you'd have to go back in there and fix your shave if you wanted to brush your teeth again you could go back in there and like brush your teeth or <laughs> go to the bathroom do whatever you got to do it's more kind of like just getting ready for bed is there just designated times when you can and cannot go to the bathroom and you just have to hold it in between those times so like i didn't really know this until later on in my in my career because i've like when you're a recruit you you think you might know something but you're probably wrong like if you think something about how boot camp works you're probably just wrong so if if a recruit asks to go to the bathroom nowadays drill instructors can't say no they're like that that's that's against the rules for them to do but there's ways around it to where they don't have to say no because you don't just go up and be like oh hey pete can i go to the bathroom like you have to request permission to talk to them and then request permission to do whatever you're trying to do so like usually what would happen if like you went up to one of your drill instructors and like oh like this recruit they'd be like oh you're not screaming like get away from me and so you get now like you have to like not ask the question you're going to ask so that's (laughs) kind of how they get around saying no is they just don't let you ask um and i don't know if that's still how it is boot camp has changed a lot and is always changing a lot so as we move on to your post boot camp experience, um, and thinking back on that time, that three months you spent in boot camp, what is your association with that? Was that a, a positive experience, a negative experience? N- no positive or negative attached to it. It just was what it was. It helped me. It helped build me toward the next thing. What is your mind connection with that experience in your life? Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think it's a lot of either. Really, you know, I, I obviously I learned stuff, and you know, I got in better shape and did stuff that I never thought I'd like necessarily be able to do or like just never thought about having to do. Um, but it, there's not really like this one thing that I'm like, that was a positive thing. And I'm not, there's nothing, there's not like one singular thing where I'm like, that was a detriment either. Um, overall, I think it's a good experience because it, it's, it's the one thing that every single enlisted Marine has in common. Yeah. Um, and it's, everybody's experience is pretty similar for the most part whenever you go somewhere in the fleet boot camp inevitably comes up yeah like yeah, once you go boot camp, to it. yeah like it's yeah. it's it's just one of those things where and, and it's so like mystified in like the mm-hmm. civilian world too like marine corps boot camp is the the hardest boot camp and it, like I, I haven't done any other one so i don't i don't have a reference point but the fact that that's how it's looked at kind of it gives a lot of people like a sense of pride of being a Marine, I think. Yeah. Um, whether or not they think boot camp was hard in the moment or later on doesn't really matter because when you meet people that aren't in the military and they find out you're a Marine, that alone holds a little bit of weight, whether yeah. you know it or not. Like we, like we bear the, we bear the name of our organization in our title. No other branch of service does that. Like the army doesn't have armies in it. 
the Navy doesn't have navies in it. Like the Marines have, the Marine Corps has Marines in it, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. It's, there's like a certain standard of like everything we have to do because of that. Like we are always a representation of our branch before anything else. Huh. I lied. I do have one more question about boot camp. Okay. You said you, you did things or you accomplished things that you never thought you'd do or you didn't think about doing. What is an example of one of those things? Uh, so I went to boot camp only being able to do like five pull-ups, I think. And I wasn't particularly good at running. And by the end of boot camp, I was doing like, I think I did like 15 and I cut up like a, a good chunk of time off my, my three mile run, like a, like a pretty considerable amount for the amount of time that I was there. What we did on the crucible, it's not something I ever like thought about, but looking back, it's like I, at 18 years old, I just never thought that I'd be able to like stay up for that long and continue doing physical things. To give context to the listener, can you just explain what the crucible is? Uh, so the crucible is like, it's the culminating event from a recruits at boot camp. Um, it's a like three day event or like 54 hours, something like that. And so you like you hike out to wherever uh, the the crucible takes place, either on Paris Island or out west. Um, and then it's just event after event after event for fifty four hours. And like you get, I can't remember how much sleep we got. I think like six or seven total hours, maybe probably more. It's like two really long days with not a lot of sleep, and then a really long hike back. So the the hike back is like a I think it's a nine mile hike. It's a fifteen k. I think I'd never been up for that long like exerting myself like i had been i i could stay up all night like playing video games or doing whatever with my friends but then like i also wasn't at the end of that like throwing a pack on and going for a hike you know yeah. what i mean like so um when you say event after event after event it's just mentally and physically taxing challenges pretty much there's like six or seven um like big events and then between that it's all like team building stuff um, but a lot of them are like, I mean, I, a lot of them I'm pretty sure are like for sure impossible. Like, I don't think there's an actual way to get it done. It's just like, Hey, spend an hour trying to get this done. <laughs> like the one I remember the yeah. most is there's like a, it's like a 20 foot pole, like a telephone pole basically. And you have to get like a tire over it with just like just the people with you in their hands. And it's like, there's it, not like a car tire, like a, like a tractor tire. So it's like, th- there's there's no way this is going to happen. No matter how close we, we got, it's like, I just don't see a way of that actually being possible. It's just like another thing to keep us up and moving and get us tired and like hmm. working as a team. Um, and by like, and it's funny cause like when you start out, spirits really high, everybody is working fine together. And then by like the end of the second day, everybody's arguing with each other. Like nobody's having anything of what anybody's saying. If I say something that I think is going to work, somebody else can be like, nope, that's not going to work. We need to do it like this. And then somebody else can have something else to say. So it's just, it's it's funny how how much just being tired can affect people's mental state. Yeah, yeah. I, I talk about sleep with my students in my classes and they stop, basically stop, do, from what I understand, they stopped doing sleep deprivation studies a long time ago because of the irreparable damage that they're doing to the human mind and body by depriving people of sleep in these studies. So uh, yeah, they, I, I believe Sleep it. deprivation studies don't exist anymore from what I understand. And yeah, I maybe mean, someone could correct me, but that's my, my understanding. You can see why. Anyone who's had an infant in the house knows that. <laughs> um, but I've never gone to boot camp, never been in the military, so I can imagine trying to climb a pole with a tractor tire is even yeah. more taxing than trying to get the infant to be quiet. 
like I said, to an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, it might very well be the hardest thing they've ever done. So from there, I think not necessarily that you need to take us through the steps in your life, but what I'm what I'm most curious about, Dylan, is the molding or the shaping of going from a kid who was in middle school and high school that was a little bit anti-establishment, a little bit okay to be the bad guy, or okay to be seen as someone who is against the grain, into now you're a Marine and now you have to kind of take on a different mindset to move forward with what it is you have for your life. So you, you, you finish boot camp and then kind of where does your your path and your in your mind go? So after boot camp, I went to North Carolina for like a month to do some more training. And then I went to Southern California for five or six months to do some more training. And then after that, I got stationed in Okinawa, Japan. Um, so that's when I like hit the fleet. I was, I was a full on Marine. I had my, my job, like I was trained ish. Um, and now I'm like doing my day-to-day stuff. And I think that had I been closer to home, it, my, my entire career would probably be a lot different. Cause like you said, I was kind of always the like, Oh, you're telling me to do this. So I'm not going to do that. I think being in Okinawa and being so far away from my friend group kind of forced me to like, not fall in line, but to kind of change a little bit as a person. In what regard, when you, when you say change, what is it you're referring to? Like I'm now I'm a lot more okay with like, oh, my boss told me I need to go do something. I'm a lot more like, okay, yeah, he's my boss. I need, I need to go do this. Like whether I really maybe want to or not. Whereas when I was in high school, like my teacher was like, oh, you got to do this. Like if I didn't want to do it, I just wasn't going to do it. And I like, obviously like that kind of a mindset in the military is like, horrible and that kind of thing like breeds insubordination so like if one person is like that the only way to fix it is for them to either stop being like that or for them for them to go away like if they stay somewhere and they continue to be like that more people are going to be like that and then before you know it that platoon or that fire team or or whatever is not is no longer going to function the way it should function but i think if i was in like north carolina with like easy access to my friends back home like I think it would have been a lot harder for me to like kind of mature as a person and be like, hey, like th- how I was in high school is like it was kind of childish. My lack of maturity in a lot of situations was showing. Yeah, th- I, there's definitely research that shows that like in order to make lifestyle change, like a relocation of the physical is is very very supportive of that. You know that's why you know treatment centers for addicts are like pull them away from. Mm-hmm from their neighborhood or from their home or from their situation, put them in a new place for a while and see if that shakeup can, can have a result. And it sounded like for you, you needed to get away to be able to come back a different man. For sure. And I think that another really big thing that impacted that was to when I got to Okinawa, all of my leadership had everything that I wanted in the Marine Corps. They had the combat deployments, they had the travel stories, they had the, I haven't been home in three years, you know, like they, they had like everything I was looking for. So when they were like, we need to go do this, a lot of it was kind of like, well, if like, if this dude's saying that I need to go do this, like I probably need to go do it. We're kind of regardless of how I feel about it. Like if he, like he wouldn't steer me wrong. Like they have my best interests at heart. Even some of my bosses that like some of my friends didn't really like, I didn't ever really have a issue with. It was weird because I, I, when I got there, um, I did kind of fall back into the same style friend group. Like I was friends with like the troublemakers, but the flip side of it is 
my friends, when I first hit the fleet in Okinawa, were the best at PT. They were the best at their job. They knew their stuff really, really well. They were just like outspoken and like they liked the party. Um, Work hard, play hard, kind. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, yeah. And like ev- everything was a competition with them. Like everything. Like if we're shooting pool after work, they're playing to win. If we're doing a PT, like it pays to be a winner kind of thing. Um, yeah. PT for the listeners is physical training. It's any type of physicality or working out is what he's referring to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think it was after Japan, you came home for leave and you reached out to me. Yo, Mr. D, I'm home. Would love to love to see you. But not only would I love to drop in and say hi, I'd love to come talk to the kids at your school. So we set up a plan and you rolled in. Is it called dress blues? Is that the proper terminology? Uh, yeah. I th- you came I think in I dressed would... to the nines. You were really... Yeah. 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 Everything was high and tight. And you came in and you spoke to a hundred middle schoolers about your experience. And I was just, I, I couldn't believe it because if someone came in and spoke when you were in middle school, you might not be the kid that would have been paying attention. And yeah. Now no. You're the one going, yep, I want to volunteer my time, my energy to come speak to these kids. And you, and you just share with them some of the most important lessons that you learned. And uh, if you could give them advice, what would you tell them? And that was kind of what, what you did. And you, you know, you, you transitioned from this, this kid that hated being in school to one who's like, yeah, I'll go, I'll go speak to these kids in school. And that would, that was a really big moment for me witnessing you deliver this message to these kids. And, uh, ah, so, so powerful. So, so, so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I remember going, uh, going to the middle school or yeah, the middle school. And I think that as a military member, part of what I need to do is I need, like, I need to give back to the community that got me to where I am, whether or not I'm super stoked about be, having to be around some of the people that I had such a hard time being around before. I was stoked to go do that. But I think even if I was kind of a little bit more apprehensive about it, I would have said yes anyway, because I I think yeah. that's just the right thing to do. You know, um, and I like, don't get me wrong. I don't think that I have, you know, the craziest story. Um, you know, I don't have any, you know, wild combat tours with like I got shot at and like saved people's lives or anything like that. Like I wholeheartedly think I'm just another dude who's in the military, but I also can recognize that some of the stuff I've done and experienced might be beneficial to a 14 year old that was, that's in the same shoes I was in. Um, yeah, I, ju- I just think the fact that you decide you were going to go do something and there were obstacles in you achieving that and you just stayed with it and stayed with it and stayed with it. And here you are, you know, 16 years from the day I met you, but nine years into it still going. That message alone is crazy powerful. Like find what you love to do and go do it and just chase it. And and it's not going to be an easy road all the time, but just stay with it. Super cool. Before we sign off, I have, I have two more questions for you. Um, the first one is what is the biggest struggle or what is the biggest challenge of committing uh, a life to the military? Oh, that's a good question. It honestly, it hasn't been super hard because I've, I just always, it was just always what I wanted to do. I, I remember when I was trying to enlist, I had to, I had like a heart murmur or something. Um, so I had to go get like a doctor's note basically saying like, yeah, he can do this. And my mom was like, what are you going to do if they say no? Like, what's your plan B? And I was like, I don't have a plan B. I'm just going to find out a way to do this. Um, you know, obviously there's, there's hard parts, like being away from home for so long does get hard. And like, there's been a few times where I've been like, just drained. I'm like, I have to go on leave. Like, I just, I have to go home. 
but I think the probably the hardest part is just the daily grind. Like you don't ever make it. There's no like, well, once I get to this point, I made it. Like once I get this rank, I made it. Once I get this job title, I made it. Like that doesn't exist. Like it's at least in the in the Marine Corps is very much a like earn your keep every day or just get out. Like if you're not gonna continue like continue to pursue excellence, you're holding other people back now. Uh, so awesome I think just the, just the daily like grind of being in the Marine Corps is the hardest part a lot of the time. I love that answer. That's awesome. My second question and the last one is when you think back to that kid that we were talking about in middle school and the kid that came up through high school and then went into boot camp, what has been the biggest life lesson that you've learned along the way? Or I can rephrase the question by saying, if you were going to tell that sixth grader something that would be impactful or helpful that you've learned along the way, what would that be? I mean, if I had to tell myself in sixth grade now something, it would probably it it probably be don't 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 ever not do what you're trying to do. What you're doing right now is exactly what you need to be doing. Um, the so but so the best piece of advice I've ever gotten that I would tell that sixth grader whether they understand it in the moment or not would probably be don't ever put yourself in a position where your integrity can be compromised. Hmm. The, that's something that one of my mentors in the Marine Corps told me. Um, and obviously, you know, as a 25 year old or whatever, like I can hear that and understand exactly what, it, like what he's saying. Um, I'm not sure, you know, an 11 year old in sixth grade would understand yeah. like why that's important, but uh, basically like, don't be a liar and like your word at the end of the day is you know, it's always going to be the most important thing you have. It's everything. If I say I'm going to do something, like nobody is going to question whether or not I'm going to do it. And when I say something, people aren't looking at me like, oh, is he is he telling the truth or not? Like, can I can I trust this guy? And then uh, probably the other biggest thing um, is don't pet burning dogs. Meaning, if there's a situation that you can help in, help. And if you can't, you might make it worse trying to help. Don't pet burning dogs. I've never heard that in my whole life. That yeah. So the the same mentor told me that it took me a while to figure out that one. Um, I had to go back and be like, what are you talking about? But yeah, you said yeah. You know, like it. You might really think you're helping, but you might really just be making it worse or yeah, or whatever. So like, if you if you cool. legitimately can't help a situation, don't like. I'm not saying like, oh, just like bail, but don't just insert yourself either. You know, like yeah. if, if what you're gonna do is gonna make a difference, do it. And if it's not, like, just you probably don't need to. That's awesome. Uh, that's really cool. My co-host and I often talk about like. What are your core values and how to use those to navigate your day, right? So if I've decided this is who I am and this is how I'm going to respond in these situations, I've already, I've already made the decision before the situation even happens. So when the situation happens, it's much easier for me to navigate knowing this is the type of person I am, this is what I do in these situations, and off I go. I think if, if we're not steadfast and we haven't done the work to think about what our core values are, and I know in the Marines, that's a big piece of it. We can get in a lot of precarious situations and we can we can pet the burning dogs and we can give up our integrity and these types of things. So I think uh, the takeaway and when we when we host these episodes, we hope that the listeners can take stuff away. And I think people will be able to take away a lot from what you just shared, Dylan. But I think a big one is like, take a moment to think, sit down and think about like, what are your core values? I'm the type of person that, I'm the type of person that is never going to give up my integrity. I'm the type of person that isn't going to mindlessly and needlessly insert myself in situations. 
That's awesome. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's a, it's a daily, like you said, it's a, something you got to think about daily. You know, I've definitely fumbled the ball a couple of times in regards to, to that. But I mean, I think anybody who says that they've never kind of screwed up what is like near and dear to them is probably not telling the truth. Yeah. You know, like every, yeah. how, how big or little the mistake is, is kind of irrelevant, I think. But you got to, like you said, you got to work it every day. It's a, it's a tangible skill, I think. I agree. I agree. Oh man, it's been so awesome having you on. This is this is the <laughs> the most uh, impulsive episode we've ever had. Like we decided to do this thing like a half an hour before we came on. I had no questions prepared. I had no homework done. I didn't have anything. We just we we just let it go, and uh, it was so fun for me. It was awesome to have you on. I'm super super grateful to be connected with you. I'm so grateful that you reach out every time you come home. I wish you the absolute best in your your next step going back to Jacksonville and wherever your 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 path takes you from there. But I, I could not be more grateful for the opportunity to know you. And I appreciate you taking time to chat with us tonight. Yeah, it, it's been a pleasure. And I'm also super happy that it was kind of off the cuff. I think that says a lot about kind of me as a person, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm just happy that uh, it wasn't like a super planned thing and a lot more rigid. Like I said, I, I love giving back. So I'm, I'm happy to, to be here and, you know, share my story. And I, I hope it, uh, I hope somebody listening take something away from what I said. And if, if they do, then I would say it's, it's been successful. It's awesome. To all the listeners out there, kind reminder, schoolingstruggle at gmail.com. Hit us up with any thoughts, perspectives, and feedback you might have. We so very much appreciate your ears. We thank you for your time. We are incredibly grateful for your attention. I don't take lightly that our family of listeners out there is tuned in to every episode, and it's a really dedicated group of people, and I'm just so grateful for our family of listeners. We are the School and Struggle Podcast. We are out.